I invite you this morning to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just to begin here, um, I won't be uh, opening up this passage. This won't be a a typical expository sermon. This will be a a topical look at God's teaching this morning, Uh, but this uh, these verses here give us uh, much to think about and uh, in line with our topic this morning, and, and so I wanted to begin with with these as we begin thinking about this. This is our uh, the third in a little three-part series we've done on uh, the church, and so we'll return in coming weeks to our, our pattern of uh, preaching on the Psalm of the Month and our series through Mark, through the Gospel of, of Mark. But first, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Uh, this is God's holy word. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in. And this is the, this is the phrase that particularly gives us much to think about in connection with this morning. In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Again, this is our third week in considering the church, and you know, we could do 80 weeks in talking about the church, but uh, we've considered the foundation of the church, Jesus as the cornerstone, and looking at First Peter uh, the last couple weeks, uh, last week the nature of the church, that it's uh, united, uh, it's a corporate body, it's holy, it's privileged, it's a great privilege and calling to be part of the local church. Uh, and today we're going to consider the topic of membership in the church. Uh, and, and by that I mean formal membership uh, in, in the church, in a local church. I want to carefully lay out some reasons why, why I'm addressing that topic um, this morning. Um, number one, and this, this will be the first point that I'll open up more on your outline there, number one on your outline, but uh, just briefly at this point, I, I think there's a need in the church broadly for teaching for a better understanding on the church and um, formal membership in the church and what that is and why it is. Um, in part, there's been a huge change in understanding of these doctrines in, say, the last 50 years. And, and I think it would be helpful <coughs> excuse me, for us as a congregation to have a shared understanding, at least of where our church is, is coming from, um, what, what we believe about this. There are various different views on the church and membership in the church. Um, I, I want to make the point that what I'm going to say this morning about this from the scriptures is there, there's, there will be nothing um, unique or distinctive at all about our church in this uh, or about our denomination. be nothing unique at all about Reformed churches in what I'm going to say. I'm simply going to try to lay out historical, biblical, shared understanding of, of membership in Christ's church. So I think, first, there, there's a broadly a, a, just a need for teaching about these things. Secondly, more particularly, what I, I think this topic will be beneficial to our congregation. We have, or are grateful to have, people uh, in our congregation worshiping with us each week uh, in many different positions or relationships uh, to the church uh, right now. Um, and, and I want to think about a couple of those. We, we, have, we have children and youth, for example. Uh, some of them baptized but not yet professing faith. Some of them not baptized and, and, and various different situations. Um, and something that our youth need to be thinking about, understanding and, and forming convictions as they 
grow up into their identity in, in Christ. Um, I think of parents uh, who need to be instructing their children and youth about who they are in Christ and, and what his church is and the importance of, and, and meaning of, of membership in the church. Uh, we have those who are adherents or, or uh, newer or more recent visitors to our church, those who aren't members uh, officially of our church, short-term or long-term. Uh, we want anyone in that position at, at the appropriate time to give careful consideration to what our church believes the Bible teaches about formal membership in the church. We have, uh, of course, members. Um, this is a topic that would be profitable and needed if the only demographic here worshiping with us were adult members of our congregation, that you would really understand what your membership is, what it means, the, the significance and importance of it. Uh, I think of newer communicant members. We've received in the last months uh, the Dahl family, uh, Owen. Uh, we've had opportunity to hear them take the vows of church membership, hear vows of baptism. Uh, and this topic is, is geared in part at understanding, understanding that better uh, to some degree as well. And, and I could go on. I, I hope it's clear from that list it's the, the topic's not targeted at one, one particular group uh, or, or another uh, in particular, uh, but I think would be really useful and important for, for all of us, whatever our current relation to this congregation or to another congregation. Um, again, the first reason that I listed there was this: there, there's been a seismic shift in our culture in understanding uh, about this, this topic, formal membership in the church. Um, I think it's interesting, in the past 75 years or so, uh, there actually has not been a, a massive change in church attendance. Uh, we, we might expect there's a bigger change. There hasn't been a massive dip in church membership or in church attendance. What, what there has been a huge, dramatically dramatic change in is uh, church membership. Uh, just just a couple of statistics to illustrate that. So at the end of World War II, roughly 75 years ago, um, 75% of all Americans. 75% of all Americans reported membership uh, in a church, in a, in a local congregation. Um, today, now this, this stat for today is for millennials and Generation X. That's, I'm, I'm right on the back edge of millennials. That's generation younger than me, generation older than me. Uh, but today, it, less than 50% of church-going Americans have membership in a church. So 75 years ago, 75% of all Americans today, less than half of those who attend church. So that, that simply shows there's been a, been a huge change. And where churches haven't done away with the concept of membership altogether, as, as many have, um, there, there's been sometimes a, a cheapening of membership. Maybe you've heard the story of uh, the, the town where a number of churches in town got infested with squirrels. Can you tell yet this is a joke? <laughs> and um, there, as the joke goes, various different traditions of, of churches try different you know, funny things to get rid of the squirrels. I won't go through the whole joke for you, but uh, at the end, one church decides, well, we'll just, make them, we'll just baptize the squirrels and make them members. And then they didn't see them ever except for Easter and Christmas. Right? And, and that, that joke is, it works. It's sort of you know, maybe sadly funny. Um, because in many instances of a sort of cheapening of membership, it's, it's merely formal, right? It's merely nominal. Um, well, I, so I have three main points for you this morning, um, three M's there on your outline. Um, 
First, before we look at God's word as a guide in this, the first point there is the mutation of membership. This, again, thinking about this change in, in understanding in the last 50 years or so that I've just described, thinking about why, why this, why this seismic shift um, towards membership in the church. What, what reasons could there be for that change? And so I want to give you two reasons relative to our culture uh, that, that have to do with the church as well, and, and then two more particularly uh, to the church. The first relative to our culture is a consumer culture, our, our, our increasingly consumer culture. So 100 years ago, uh, Americans would most commonly be described, say, in the newspaper uh, as, as what? American citizens, right? That's how you generally refer to Americans. Today, it's more common to hear in the news or read the newspaper a reference to American consumers, right? That's just a, a shift that kind of gets at this. No longer thinking of ourselves maybe first, primarily as, as members of a society, contributors, um, but consumers. Everything is a product. Everything is valued for what we get out of it. Uh, how it makes us feel, and, and so on. And, and that has, to some degree, affected the church. I think, to a larger degree, many tend to think of the relationship to the church not in terms of, of formal commitment or like a family, something we're doing together, uh, but more a product to be consumed, right? And we, sh- we shop for churches based on what, what they can give us and, and what programs they have for kids. And, and you know, these aren't all bad considerations, but it's, it's certainly a shift in, in thinking. Um, uh, some Barna research is, is revealing of this as well. Uh, Barna says in, in recent surveys that 32%, so one-third, of churched adults in the U.S. say they feel disappointed with the experience of worship at least half the time. Uh, so one-third disappointed with the experience of worship half the time. And my, my only observation is there, it, it, it reveals there's, a, there's a, uh, an, in, an intensely increased focus on the experience of worship, right? What it, how it makes me feel, right? Not how did I worship God? Was God honored? Um, did I serve my church family today? But how did it make me feel? That, that's revealed just in, in change of terminology in, in churches just in my lifetime, it used to be that every church advertised the, you know, the start time for their worship service, right? That's what it's called, a, a service of worship to God. Uh, now it's common to, you know, say our, at 10 o'clock we begin our worship experience, right? And, and neither is, is totally right or totally wrong, uh, but, but those are opposite words, right? One is thinking about what we're giving to God. The other is completely focused on what am I experiencing? What am I receiving? How does it make me feel? Um, so I, I think this all helps explain why commitment to the local church has waned so dramatically uh, in the last 50 years. Uh, there, there's something uh, that, that is more like uh, the church being a product or a store. Like, you know, you, you go to Home Depot or Target or Lowe's or, you know, who cares which one you go to? You go for different needs or different conveniences and that kind of thing. Um, the church is, is not as much something... That, that the people of God are, but is, but is increasingly something you attend, something that you consume, and, and that contributes to this. Secondly, letter B, a second factor is our commitment-averse culture. Uh, our commitment-averse culture. Our, our culture is sim- simply increasingly averse to binding commitments of any kind. So, like I said 
people still attend church in large numbers in the United States, um, but the binding commitment has dropped off dramatically. A, a parallel to that is uh, romantic relationships are still a thing as much as they ever have been in our culture, but the binding commitment of marriage is, is far less. Right? There's a reticence to, to make that, that commitment, uh, a lifetime commitment. Um, you know, in, in a liberal society, binding commitments don't leave you free to live however you want or be whoever you are or might want to be uh, in the future. Um, and, and so I think this is also a piece of the reticence with some uh, to make a formal binding commitment to Jesus' church. Um, Kevin DeYoung comments this. He says, membership is about making a decision and sticking with it, something my generation, with our oppressive number of choices, finds difficult. Uh, We prefer to date the church, have her around for special events, take her out when life feels lonely, keep her around for a rainy day. Uh, I think that reflects something of of a change in our culture. Uh, Thirdly, letter C uh, is simply a change in, in conviction within the church. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of this in a, in, in a wide range, a, a broad spectrum, uh, from those who have a, a reasoned, thoughtful um, argument against the idea of membership in the church, that, that don't believe it's, it's biblical, it's a, a reasoned um, position, to those who simply have never thought about it, or, or maybe don't, are not in, in a church that even has membership or really teaches a doctrine of the church and, and what the church is. Um, I mentioned last week an example of this influential, influential author, Don Miller, who wrote a, a, a famous blog post a number of years ago that, that was discussed much in evangelicalism, where he explained, basically, I've, I've decided that traditional organized church is not, it's just not for me. I don't get anything out of the singing. The, the sermons aren't really how I learn. Um, it's a nice idea, but it's, but it's not for me. Um, another, another illustration that comes to mind just from my experience in this past year um, uh, some of you know I serve on the board of trustees at Geneva College, and uh, one of our meetings this past year, we were receiving a report from the dean of students, uh, um, she's really the vice president for student development, which is residence life and activities and discipleship and, and things like that. And she was explaining um, a, a particular struggle that had increased significantly just in the past year at Geneva in terms of student development and, and discipleship, and that was simply getting students out to local churches on Sunday. Uh, that's not a requirement by any means at Geneva, but it's encouraged, it's facilitated. Um, but students were now, she said, increasingly just staying in their dorm watching some service uh, on their computer. And of course, there's lots of worse things they could be doing. Uh, it's good as far as it goes, but it is a, it a great shift, a pattern created by COVID largely, of course, but uh, only possible among a population that, that doesn't have as much of a concept of, of the essential value of the local church, right? Being present physically uh, with, with the church um, and, and committed to a local church. Uh, a, a, fourth, a fourth factor in this shift, uh, I'm calling conflict and corruption in the church. Conflict and corruption in the church. This is another real serious reason that some are averse to committing to... Uh, a local church that I want to acknowledge. People have been hurt in the church, uh, by the church, uh, beat up by conflicts in the church, or have experienced abuse by, by leadership in the church, um, and, and are disillusioned by that corruption or abuse of authority. Um, and that, that's a sad reality. Maybe some of you or some of your families have stories along those lines. Um, 
I would argue I don't think that, that reality changes what is biblical about our relationship to the church. But it makes it much harder to see the blessing of Jesus in the church, uh, which, which is his design. It's his means of caring for his people, but that can be obscured by human sin right? and people acting badly. Uh, another version of that uh, was illustrated to me by my missions professor in seminary, Steve Miller. He, he died a few years ago of ALS, but um, he served for years in uh, Eritrea, which is a small nation in Africa. It's, it's nearly 100% Muslim. Christianity is illegal there. Um, he, w- he and his family were eventually forced out for their lives, basically, um, and he returned to pastor in Pennsylvania. And he was, this is why I had him teaching it as adjunct at the seminary as well. And uh, he described pastoring in Eritrea, shepherding people who were literally risking their careers and their families and their freedom and, and maybe even their lives to gather for worship, to hear the word of God or to own the word of God. It, it was costly. Um, they were desperate for the word of God and his care in that place in Africa. And then Dr. Miller describes how coming back to the United States, serving American Christians who were, by some comparison, more complacent, took for granted the word of God, who loved to sit back and criticize and you know, pick, pick things at the church and, and talk, you know, pick fights about ticky-tacky things and were maybe, by comparison, weak in their commitment to the body of Christ because it largely, comparatively, costs nothing socially uh, like it did in his previous experience. And, and it was almost more than he could handle, that, that contrast of, of cultures and in the church and that, that culture shock and his experience in a Muslim country that made obvious some of the weaknesses of, of the American church by, uh, because Christianity is relatively accepted and, and easy. In the West, it, it challenged his love and his commitment to the church. Some Christians have a, a background and experience something like that uh, that, is, that is real and, and understandable. Um, so these things call for compassion and care as, as factors in this discussion. Secondly, I want to discuss the, the meaning of membership. Uh, what, what is membership? What, what does it mean? And I want to give you four points of meaning or, or significance um, and, and these aren't the only four that, that could be given or the only way this could be talked about, but four things I want you to think about. But, but first, to note that this is all in the context of what, what was affirmed in the sermon last week. Uh, basically, that membership in the church is membership in the institution of Jesus himself. Right? The local church with its organization and deacons and elders and uh, teaching and worship and, and so on, is Jesus' creation. It's not a traditional thing, a man-made thing. It's, it's his command and gift and blessing. It's his means of caring and shepherding and teaching and keeping accountable and discipling and gathering his people for worship and encouraging you. First uh, Peter 2, you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Again, you, you are a chosen, precious stone, not as an individual, but built into the house, built into the church, uh, Christ church. So, so four things, briefly. What is church membership? Again, 
not the only way this could be presented, but four things I want you to think about. First, it's, it's a profession of faith and identity in Jesus. It, it's a public profession and commitment to Jesus. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. He speaks of a, a, a public commitment. Uh, not, not exactly parallel to, to church membership, but I'm making the point that this is, this is certainly part of that. Romans, 9, or Romans 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So to, to formally join the visible church is an opportunity to do this, to stand up and say, this is who I am. I'm with Christ. Um, and formalizing that in church membership is, in part, is something like um, a wedding, something like the relationship between a wedding and, and a marriage. Right? A marriage begins with a wedding that serves as a definitive point at which the marriage started. Right? It was publicly stated. The commitment was made on that day. And you look back to that commitment um, that, that was made before witnesses. Something parallel to that. Uh, a second uh, point to the, me- the meaning of church membership, the significance, it's a commitment to the body, to, to other believers, a commitment to the body. Um, Paul gives, I mentioned recently, Paul gives dozens of one another's for the church in, in serving each other. He says to serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, um, forgive one another, love one another, on and on and on. And, and formal membership and commitment to the local church is is in part a commitment to live that out, right? to, to put legs on that, to, to make that more than a nice sentiment, to be go, go beyond involvement. Um, he, here's how uh, Pastor Peter Kemeny uh, puts this. Uh, this is one of my favorite metaphors. He says, something, uh, someone said the difference between involvement and commitment is like the contribution that a chicken and a pig make to a ham and egg breakfast. Think about it. <laughs> the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Uh, people who are merely involved perhaps do not build strong churches. People who make blood earnest commitment to its people and mission build strong churches. Local congregations need people who will say to others in the congregation, I'm committed to you. You are my family. I'm going to pray for you, encourage you, exhort you, love you, bear with you, and serve you. Uh, we may disappoint and even hurt one another from, a time, from time to time, but I'm committed to laboring in this section of Christ's vineyard. Again, that doesn't speak directly to um, formal membership necessarily. That can be done outside of that. But it speaks to the meaning of being part of the local church, membership in the church. Thirdly, letter C, uh, membership in the church is submission to Jesus' authority and his accountability. There's a sense in which we're accountable to uh, and, and submitting to, serving everyone in the church, accountable to each other. Uh, but more particularly, we're accountable to the elders in the church, by Christ's appointment. There's an accountability to Christ through the elders that he's appointed. Hebrews 13 uh, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. They're serving Christ, accountable to him. Jesus exercises his authority in the church uh, through his elders. The, the word of God is authoritatively proclaimed. There's correction and discipline when, when necessary. Fourthly, um, church membership, and this one's maybe a little more outside the box, but I want to give you something to think about. An opportunity to make promises. 
It's an opportunity to make promises. Our, our denomination emphasizes the goodness, uh, scripturalness, is that a word, um, of publicly making covenants, vows, promises. Uh, and, and membership is an opportunity to do that. Uh, again, Kevin DeYoung comments along these lines. says, joining the church gives you an opportunity to make promises. Uh, when someone becomes a member, he makes promises to pray, to give, to serve, attend worship, accept the spiritual guidance of the church, obey its teachings, seek the things that make for purity and unity and peace. We ought not to make these promises lightly. Uh, they're solemn vows, and we must hold each other to them. If you don't join the church, you miss an opportunity to publicly make these promises, inviting the elders, the rest of the body to hold you to these promises, uh, which would be missing out on spiritual benefit for you and for the whole church. Uh, so that's, those are some thoughts on, on what church membership is, the significance of it. And, and thirdly, let's consider the third M, the mandate for membership. The mandate for membership. Uh, so far, we've spoken about the, the goodness, the meaning of membership, but, but is formal membership in the church necessary? Is, is it biblical? Um, again, there, there are different... Obviously, given the seismic shift in, in, our, in our culture and the church, different views on that. But uh, is it enough simply to be involved, even significantly, with the church? Or does God's word expect some formal identification with the local church? I, I think maybe in some sense, I, I hope it's already established that there is that expectation because the local church is by Jesus' design and command, at, at least that we would be part of the local church. But... It's certainly true there's no explicit verse that lays out membership uh, in the local church. This is how you take vows or this is how you keep roll or, or something like that. Um, but I want to show further here that, that it's simply the assumption of the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Um, as we have the New Testament, we're talking about the New Testament church. Um, we, we understand membership in the church is all over the scriptures. It's, it's assumed. It's It's expected. There are other doctrines like that as well that aren't stated explicitly in the scriptures, but the West, as the Westminster Confession says, there are by good and necessary consequence. There's those that are stated explicitly, then there's those that we obey by good and necessary consequence. We put together the data of the scripture, and it's clearly taught. best example of that is the Trinity. Right? The word Trinity is not in the Bible. There's no textbook um, description of the doctrine of the Trinity anywhere in the scriptures. And yet we bring together the whole of the scriptures and the teaching on God, and it's clearly uh, uh, clearly taught there. So just, just a few lines of biblical evidence. And, and sort of moving from maybe lesser to, to stronger, clearer evidence. Uh, the first would be lists, lists and numbers. There, there are meticulous lists and numbers kept, uh, particularly in the Old Testament church. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament, it was... It was Clearly important to keep track of who is part of God's people and church and who is not. In the New Testament, there's plenty of evidence in the letters of Paul and Peter and that, that they knew the people they were writing to. They knew which local church they were part of. Um, there are accounts given in the book of Acts, for example. You know, people were baptized and they were, you know, 3,000, for example, were added to their number. Uh, there, there was an accounting in some way. Well, that, that, that at least sort of hints in this direction. Uh, secondly, a second line of evidence is the election of elders and deacons. Uh, the election of elders and deacons. We elect elders and deacons uh, for the church. That's by God's uh, command in the New Testament. 
Um, uh, we do that in our church by vote, right? So the members of the church uh, all get to vote on that, to choose our officers. Now, is that by tradition? Is that just sort of the way we've always done it in our tradition? Or is that biblical? Uh, well, it's our understanding that's biblical. In Acts chapter 14, for example, Paul and Barnabas are traveling around to the churches, uh, and as Paul writes elsewhere, they're helping all the churches were to do, they're helping the churches to appoint elders. And uh, a literal translation of the Greek there, in terms of how they're doing that, is they're, they're appointed by the raising of hands. That's the word that's actually used. They, they raised their hands. The congregation was voting. It was a responsibility of, of the congregation. Paul wasn't just showing up and saying, you know, this guy is going to be your elder. He, they, they were... They were raising their hands and voting. And, and so based on that alone, I think the New Testament assumes a formal identification with a local church. Otherwise, who, who gets to vote, right? You know, do, if there are visitors there on that day uh, who know nothing of those who are being elected, are they included in the vote? Or can you bring your cousins and uncles and aunts to, you know, pack the vote on the day? You know, I, clearly these aren't the kind of things that are envisioned in the New Testament. There was, there was an understanding of who was a part of this local congregation, and by raising of hands, they chose from among them um, for, for officers in the church. So uh, membership in the church makes it necessary to make clear who has that kind of privilege in the church. Uh, thirdly, a third line of evidence is the responsibility of the elders. First uh, Peter, Peter 5, the elders are told, shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. Uh, I already read from Hebrews 13 um, about the elders keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Uh, elders are responsible to Jesus and will give an account one day of how they watched over the people of God. And the, the crucial question is, here's the logical connection, uh, it's crucial that the elders know who are they responsible for. Right? Not every Christian. Um, who are the elders? You know, who, who is Tom and, and Craig and Mike? Who are they responsible for? Um, which ones will Jesus ask them about on the on that judgment day? And 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 conversely, uh, all the members of the church, elders included, are commanded to submit to the elders in the church. Uh, which ones? Which, one, which elders are we accountable to? Uh, not all the elders in the church uh, worldwide, right? Clearly, it, it means the elders in, in the local church, in, in your congregation. And so again, another line of evidence the Bible assumes there's a clear delineation as of, of who is a member of which local church. Who is accountable to those elders? Who are those elders responsible to Jesus uh, for caring for? Um, there's an assumption, it seems, that, that there weren't Christians who are outside of that uh, that program of care that Jesus instituted um, relative to the elders particularly. Uh, fourthly, um, another similar line of evidence is, is discipline in the church. First uh, Corinthians 5, for example, uh, Paul in, instructs the Corinthian church about discipline that they need to do, that they're not doing. Uh, he says that they need to put the sinner out of the church. And, and by that, he, he's talking about a particular person who's been in gross, unrepentant sin for a long time. Uh, not, not someone who sins, right? This is the entire church, of course. But he says clearly there, he's not talking about, you know, in, in saying put the sinner out of the church. I'm not saying don't have anything to do with people outside of the church. People are unbelievers. saying love them, engage them 
evangelize them and work with them and so on. But he's saying we, we can't count as a brother in Christ this man who's uh, living totally inconsistently, refusing to repent, uh, inconsistent with, with a profession of faith in Christ. Um, so discipline, it, it's not something we do frequently or, or lightly at all in our congregation, but it's the command of Christ himself. Jesus talks about church discipline, Matthew 18. Uh, you could read that later. And again, it's another thing that's impossible in the local church without a formal, clear list of who, who are the members in our church? Who is, who is committed to this congregation and to the oversight of Christ, to the elders in this local church? So those are, those are some lines of evidence I have for you to, to consider. Uh, and then finally, just, just a few closing thoughts in terms of application, further application of this topic to, again, some of those different demographics that I, I think will all benefit from, from this, uh, considering this topic. Uh, think about the members of this congregation, the members of Salt and Light. I, I hope this is a call to a renewed sense of the benefit and value and, and even solemnity of your membership in the body of Christ and, and of the vows that you took in commitment to Christ and in receiving his gift of the local church. Um, that, that was not a formality uh, or a tradition. Um, it's, it's part of your relationship to Christ. Um, those of you who are newer to our church or, or visiting or, or uh, not formally members of our church, again, this is not to put particular pressure on you. This sermon isn't part of a membership drive the elders gave me or something like that. Um, but I do invite you to consider carefully uh, the biblical foundation, the biblical evidence uh, of what we re- reviewed, that being part of Jesus, following Jesus, is being formally part of his church, uh, having that that public formal commitment and it's our desire that no one would miss out on on that that blessing uh youth and young adults um i was hoping there might be a few more of you here but maybe some of you listen later um consider and desire communicate membership um that not because it's something that expected of you you feel like this is what you're supposed to do or the next hoop you're supposed to jump through um but because it's part of your growing up into and embracing your identity in Christ um, as your Savior and Lord, as shepherd of your life, uh, as the way that he cares for you. Uh, parents, uh, impress on your kids the importance of the body of Christ. Uh, it's as the way that Jesus cares for and teaches and, and protects uh, and, and builds us up for service in his world and in his kingdom. Well, with those uh, thoughts, let's, let's pray and give thanks. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this time to consider, uh, again, what your word uh, would have us to understand about your church. We thank you for your church, for uh, your love uh, for her, uh, that you gave your blood for her. Um, Thank you for the way that you, uh, Lord Jesus, care uh, for us uh, in the church, even incredibly through, through us. Uh, with our uh, sins and mixed motives and uh, lack of equipping and inadequacy in many ways. Um, You've built your church over hundreds and hundreds of years and continue to be faithful uh, to her. Uh, We pray that you would help us to better understand your church and uh, appreciate what you've done, what you've given 
uh, to us uh, in the church uh, as we look forward to that day when the church will be uh, pure and uh, living and reigning with you forever. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.